Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us at Back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, part of our series on 2 John called Walking in Truth and Love, Dr. Neufeld will teach us about how to be people who recognize truth from error. So let's turn now to 2 John, verse 7. We've all heard of divorce-proofing your marriage, child-proofing your home, tamper-proofing food wrappers, hacker-proofing your computer, and fool-proofing your life. All these titles remind us that there are dangers out there that are real. Your young children could hurt themselves in your home, your computer could be hacked, and your identity could be stolen. Your relationship with your spouse could fall apart, leading to divorce. These things happen, and the dangers are everywhere. But these titles also tell us that if you take proper precautions, you can avoid a great many of these dangers. But here's the key. Unless you know about the dangers, you can't and won't take proper precautions. The same principle holds true for our spiritual lives. The real danger is that you can be deceived by false doctrines, false spiritualities, a false faith, and false teaching. And the net result is that you can, as others have, fall from the truth. This is especially true when you consider today's consumer mentality towards God in all things. A great many people view spiritual matters kind of like a shopping mall. There's so many things to buy, and so they buy those things that suit them, never realizing that this mall is filled with deceivers, roving imposters, corruptors, seducers, and misleaders. The mall is not safe at all, and what you buy may kill you. Is that a problem today? You bet it is. And it has always been a problem. And until you know that, you can't deception-proof your spiritual life. We're doing a short one-week study of the book of 2 John. We've noticed that the book has a theme, the combination of love and truth. We also noticed that this combination was important because of the prevalence of false teachers. John writes a Christian woman, probably a widow with a large family, probably a woman with a large house that was used for Christian meetings, and also was a place where itinerant teachers and preachers would stay. This elect lady had allowed some false teachers into her home and through connection with her had gained some influence in both her family and in the church. And so in the section of scripture we will study today, we will see that John, before telling her how to deception-proof her spiritual life, was to help her to come to terms with false teaching that was especially prevalent in her day. So let's read 2 John verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Notice how John begins. Many deceivers have gone out. Not a few, but many. If this woman was to come to terms with false teaching, she must come to realize the vastness of the problem. If this were a computer course, I would give you as many examples as I could of people who spy on your computer, of hackers who try to get personal information from your computer, and of individuals who simply want to introduce a virus into your computer to destroy the files. If this were a course on marriage, I tell you the threats to marriage and some of the major issues that have destroyed a commitment to it, everything from sexual threats, money problems, dangers of controlling and abusive behavior, the danger of drifting apart, all that kind of stuff. In order to get you to listen, I would want to tell you the nature of the problem. How vast or dangerous is it? Now, isn't it interesting that we accept potential danger in almost every other realm, and yet it seems to me that there is an incredible sense of naivete and gullibility in the spiritual realm. 
It's as if we think it to be unkind and unloving to point out what are the major false gospels in the world today. In our attempt to be inclusive, we're like a computer store who makes no distinction between someone who is a computer programmer and a hacker. The great danger that John is stressing is not the gods and goddesses of the Roman and Greek pantheon. The danger has to do with those who claim to be Christians and deceive you with a false gospel. We're going to come back to that. And so as we look at the beginning of verse 7, John says that many deceivers have gone out into the world. So the question is, how many is many? How big is the problem? Well, there are many. In the Greek language, the term many means an abundantly large number. In other words, false teachers, roving imposters, misleaders, seducers in the spiritual realm who distort the Christian message are everywhere. They are a major problem. They destroy the spiritual life of many. On the day of judgment, there will be many who will be shocked, never imagining they were under wrath because they felt comfortable with error, an error that was toxic. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that everyone who doesn't agree with us is in that category? See, that's a very important question. Is there a difference between legitimate debate among believers and false teaching that kills? You and I know that there are some who are willing to excommunicate someone if they disagree with their view of eschatology, for instance. You know, one of the great divisions of the Christian faith still is the divisive issue of baptism. Should we baptize infants or only those who consciously confess Jesus as Lord? Is this disagreement the same as a disagreement on the Trinity? And who decides how important each disagreement is? Think about that for a moment because John wants to balance love and truth, and we're about to see how he does that. Here's what we need. We need to be specific in identifying what is heresy. When I use that word heresy, I'm quite aware that the word has been all but marginalized. For some of us, the term heresy conjures up images of medieval torture chambers and the violating of human rights. The reason we think this is because the word is being abused. We know, for instance, the medieval church condemned John Huss as a heretic and burned him at the stake. Yet his writings powerfully impacted Martin Luther and led to the Protestant Reformation. And furthermore, he is considered by many as the father of the Czech nation. So what was his supposed heresy? Well, he encouraged Bible reading, which the then church condemned, and he condemned the practice of indulgences, which really was a scam. And he insisted that the church was not supreme, but the Bible was. And as an interesting aside, in the year 1999, Pope John Paul II offered up an apology for the crimes of the Catholic Church in Birmingham and even praised him for his moral courage. What was a heresy at one time was no longer so. You know, it is for this reason that the word heresy has been all but discredited in the minds of some. But with that comes a horrible reality. There really are heresies, and they really do destroy the souls of many. So let's start out. What does the word heresy actually mean? I'm going to save the answer for the end of the message today, but would you notice a very specific type of heresy in John's day? John identifies for the elect lady the particular variety of false teachers that she is dealing with. In other words, those who have been staying in her home. These false teachers in verse 7 denied that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Do we know anything about this false teaching? Well, during the years of John, there was a very popular teacher named Serinthus, who many Christians had started listening to. He comes onto the scene after the Christian church is established and starts preaching. 
This man became well-known and gained a following in the Roman province of Asia, which is the equivalent of modern-day Turkey. Without going into all the details, we know he made a distinction between the man Jesus and the Christ. He taught that the Christ, a pure and good spiritual being, entered into the man Jesus at his baptism and that he left him again just prior to his crucifixion. And so Serinthus could never say Jesus Christ because for him, those were two different persons and he could never say Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh. Serinthus also taught that all men would be raised by Christ on the last day and liberated from the flesh, that is, from the body, to be pure spiritual beings, thus denying the resurrection of the body. Now, a man by the name of Polycarp, who was a disciple of the Apostle John, tells the story that one day he was with the Apostle John in a bathhouse, and John was told Serinthus was in that place. And Polycarp remembers that John said to him, let us leave, for the enemy of truth is here, unless God pronounces judgment immediately, and this building fall down with us in it. And so they left. You know, I have no doubt Polycarp remembered the incident exactly the way it happened. And so we can see John's reaction to the roving imposters. John wanted nothing to do with them and wanted the church to have the same attitude to false teachers. See, but what's wrong with teaching that Christ did not come in the flesh? Isn't that just different opinions? Isn't the important thing giving one's life to Jesus and following him? Well, no. At the very least, three things are wrong. First of all, if what Serinthus taught was true, it would completely invalidate the cross, sufferings of Christ, his substitutionary atonement, that is, his payment for the penalty for our sins. In that case, we would still be in our sins. Secondly, if what Serinthus taught was true, it would invalidate Christ's work as our high priest and our mediator, who as man intercedes for us. And thirdly, if Serinthus was correct, it would take away the necessity of following Christ's example, for then Christ was not human at all, and therefore we would have little to learn from him on how to live our lives. I could mention many more things, but the point is that all Christian teaching is like a seamless robe. Remember what happens when you take a knitted garment and you pull a string, eventually everything comes apart. This teaching kills the true faith. Everything comes apart. We'll say more about that when we come back. If we're to be mature believers who walk in the truth, we must learn to recognize what is false. Indeed, in our day, as in the early church, there are many dangerous teachings that threaten the spiritual health of the church and deceive multitudes of people. This is why it's so important that we hold fast to the teachings of the Bible. After the break, Dr. Neufeld helps us understand the nature of heresy and how we should respond. Over the past months, I've been asked a few of the same questions a number of times. Typically, they would be, how is Dr. Neufeld? And the answer is, great. He's working from home for the most part, but well and safe. Another question is, how is the ministry doing financially? Well, to that I say, God is good. He provides. Gracious partners across the country continue to give, and we're so appreciative. Times are uncertain, and we must tighten our belts, so to speak, but we walk in confidence. So thank you for staying in touch. Thank you for supporting in prayer. And thank you to those, including our monthly partners, who continue to give regularly. And for those who are not able at this time, we understand. Please keep praying for the ministry. 
To learn more about the Bible teaching resources available through the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, or to support the ministry with a financial gift today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Let's read 2 John verse 7 again. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, you might say all that is fine, but we have very little of such teaching today. But please notice something about false teachers. First of all, they all claim to believe in Christ and to preach Christ and to be faithful to Christ, but they all deny something that is essential. Please notice what I've just said. How big a problem is this? It's vast. Many deceivers have gone out. Notice also that we have said that we need to be specific when we talk about heresy, identifying clearly which one we're talking about. And now I'm trying to define what constitutes heresy and what constitutes differences between genuine believers. And here's the answer. A heresy denies something that is essential to our salvation or to our faith. That is, something you need for your salvation is either lacking or changed or perverted. But you might say, well, wait a minute. That person who denies an essential for our salvation has so many good things to say. Yeah, that's often the case. But let me ask you a question. If I were to take a glass of water and give it to you and then add a drop of arsenic into it, would you still drink it? But what if I say, yeah, okay, there are problems in this glass, but think of all the good things you're drinking. But you would say, yeah, but that one drop of arsenic kills. And that's what it is with false teachers. They may deny the central place of the cross, or they may deny Christ's humanity or his deity, but every one of them denies something you need for salvation. They kill. So someone will say, what is it that we have to watch out for? What are the false teachers saying today? Who are the false teachers today? Well, let's let the Bible set the stage for us. You know, one of my favorite examples is found in the book of Philippians. In chapter 1, verse 15, Paul is quite aware of a problem. There are some who preach Christ out of rivalry and envy. Notice that Paul is not justifying rivalry. It is a real problem, but he does not shut these people down. However you feel about these people, that's how Paul acted, with grace to people who needed to have their motivation changed. You help them, but you don't throw them out. But when you get to Philippians 3, where Paul begins to deal with a new problem that is of a group of people called Judaizers, he says in verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and so forth. A completely different reaction. And John, the man we call the apostle of love, who continually urges Christians to love each other, who tells believers in 1 John 3, 9, that whoever hates his brother dwells in darkness, and who in the next verse tells the believers that whoever loves his brother dwells in light. This John will say that those who will not confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, this one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Let me take you to 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let me pause there for just a moment. This is a verse that gets quoted and misquoted constantly. It is the favorite verse of everyone who wants to discredit someone else. I recently heard this verse quoted against both Calvinists and Arminians. 
One website I recently came upon quoted such a verse and then contained an extensive list of all heresies not from God, including lordship salvation, speaking in tongues, storehouse tithing, the post-tribulational rapture, lifestyle evangelism, modern Bible translations, and Christian rock music. It takes the breath away. Anything this guy disagrees with is a part of the many false prophets who have gone into the world. And he's just listing his prejudices. And I would wager he doesn't even understand that which he's condemning. And all of this is justified by quoting 1 John 4 verse 1. Many false prophets have gone out, so that's why I'm condemning the many that I disagree with. But now notice 1 John 4, 2 and 3, the next two verses, which, by the way, is a parallel to our passage in 2 John verse 7. So in 1 John 4, 2 and 3, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So, John is making his claim to false teaching on the issue of distorting the teachings or the things that the church has heard from the beginning on the person, nature, and work of Jesus, who he is in his essential nature and what he did, especially in his atoning death. Please notice that in Mormonism, Jesus is called the Son of God, but they mean by that that there are many gods and that Jesus and the Father are two different gods. Notice that among the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is called the Son of God, but they mean by that that he does not share in the essence of the Father, and so in truth, he is not really the Son, but a created being. Indeed, he is the Archangel Michael. These are heresies, for they deny Jesus Christ. And this is what John wants the church to discern. You must know the essentials. Of course, there are other essentials, but it must be true that when you deny or distort or misrepresent the essential nature of God in the Bible, you can't have a saving knowledge of the God of the Bible. You know, for almost 400 years, the early church fought the battle for the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. A heresy, which was called Apollinarianism, taught that Christ had a human body but not a human spirit. Then came Nestorianism, which taught that there were two separate persons. One person was divine and the other human. Then came Eutychianism, taught that Jesus was neither fully human or fully divine. And each of these positions thought the early church had something to do with what was essential to our faith, so they utterly condemned it as heresy. Of course, there are other things that are essential. In, In this radio broadcast, we can't go over all of them, but this is the key. When something essential to our salvation is denied, distorted, or perverted, the use of the term heresy still stands. John says, such a one is the Antichrist. Now, what John does is use the most extreme language he can. For those who teach a doctrine that distorts the gospel, that once you believe it, you have now been deceived and cannot be saved, one must urgently warn people just like a seminar on hackers or a seminar on those who would put poison into our food, that these false teachers are toxic to your spiritual health. Heresy, utter condemnation for those who teach such things. When John uses the term antichrist, he doesn't mean the end time figure that stands at the end of history who leads the last great rebellion against Christ. Let me refer you to 1 John 2 verse 18. Children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. 
John can use Antichrist of the last figure, but he can speak of anyone who opposes the work of Christ in bringing the gospel that saves men and women from their sins. It's for this reason that many Bible teachers point to the centrality of Jude verse 3. There Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I hope you notice that Jude believes, as does the rest of our Bible, that there is indeed a basic set of doctrinal truths that were once for all delivered. John calls it that which was from the beginning, and Jude calls it the truth once for all delivered. And then says Jude, I write you, I appeal to you that you would contend for this truth which was there from the beginning. To contend means to fight for the truth, defend the truth against heresy, and urge God's people to understand why the truth is true. Show where the heretics have made their mistake so that the way of salvation would not be blurred. I want you to imagine a room full of children and it's lunchtime. Horrifyingly evil people have entered the room and have laced the food with poison that will destroy the children. Some are dressed in fun costumes with balloons and games, and those who love the children will chase the evildoers from the room. And that's the image. The church is to fight a battle on two fronts. One front are those who would persecute us from without, and the other are those who would distort us from within. And to that, John says, watch yourselves. John, another great message and another great reminder. I'm thinking about all those people that are Christians, but they don't have any sense of what they truly believe, and they certainly can't articulate what they believe. What do they need to do? Yeah, first of all, I want to encourage those of you who struggle to know what the basis of your faith actually is to try to see how important it is for you to know these things. Um, The enemy of your soul wants to deceive you, and you have to understand this as a real danger that you face. I would encourage local churches constantly to have classes on the basics of the Christian faith, how to defend the Christian faith, help people to understand what are the essentials and what are some of the things that are important yet are not essential. I mean, all of these kinds of things help to root us in the faith. They will help us to know where to draw a line and where to act in love, the kind of things that we're talking about. I think all of these things are not only important for us individually, Ben, but you know also that they're important for every single local church. It is important that we establish a place for God's people to stand, because stand we must. What a fitting message today, when people are so prone to embrace love without discerning truth from error. Join us again tomorrow with another message from the book of 2 John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Sarah wrote, Dr. Neufeld brings scripture to life with depth, practicality, challenge, and hope. The world has changed. Technology has made everything closer. Ministries have changed, and yet Back to the Bible has remained constant in its values and teaching. You do a marvelous work, and I look forward to hearing you every day. While messages like this help us feel we're hitting the mark, and with God's blessing, people of every age and background are being impacted through faithful Bible teaching. Our special thanks to all those who listen and support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. 
So please continue to stand with us with your prayers and gifts, and Back to the Bible Canada will continue to do all it can to impact lives with the gospel. You can join us in this effort with your financial support by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or by visiting backtothebible.ca.